and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, or death, maybe, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Good afternoon, Jensen. Good morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night to you, dear listener, whenever you are tuning in. Um, I am a little frazzled today. Um, it's been quite a day. I, uh, and it's only 2.37 in the afternoon, but um, I was trained on how to run sound at church today. We also had kind of an eventful service this morning with a baptism and 22 confirmations today. <laughs> um, so quite a busy service. And then I came home and built a bookshelf that a good, generous friend gave to me. But uh, it won't fit through the door that it's supposed to go through. So I got to take it apart and then rebuild it in the room it belongs in. So um, yeah, how you doing? <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, April has been quite the month uh, with, I mean, Hannah had surgery on April 1st, which was no joke. It was no fool's joke. And, you know, with her recovery and then having a rehospitalization after a complication and now just, you know, recovering after that complication, it's, it's, it's felt like a, a crazy month of April so far. But this weekend's actually been really good. Um, yesterday, we woke up kind of early which typically like on a Saturday, I don't like to do. Like I like to enjoy the weekend and relaxing, but we woke up around seven, had breakfast, and then we got ready pretty early too and actually went to, to Janesville, which is technically my hometown. Um, so we, we ran a couple of errands and then got lunch and it was just like a really nice day. Um, we came home and the weather was so nice that we sat on the patio. I, pre- I prepped this episode and our Christian of history. Um, we went to my in-laws for the first time in like a month and we grilled out like it was just a really good day uh, and then today we've just today we actually got to sleep in went to lunch at Culver's so like it's been been a pretty solid day oh yeah super solid if Culver's is lunch <laughs> right <laughs> um so today we're talking about the intermediate state or or you know what happens when you die life after death well, maybe not life after death, but just like after death, more more generally. Not not sure exactly what what we're, what we will call this episode, but broadly, our our theme and our topic for the day is the intermediate state for the Christian, um, in between the time of somebody's death and the time of Christ's return and the resurrection. What does that look like? You know, so obviously, lots of Christians have died throughout history between the time of Christ's ascension to now. Um, Every one of those Christians who dies prior to Christ's return, what are they doing? What, what's happening to them? What happened to them? What, what will happen to them? Um, that's sort of the, the general topic we're talking about. And, and what was sort of the catalyst for choosing this topic was we received a suggested topic by none other than my wife Elaine to talk about soul sleep and and that that doctrine that idea which is we'll get into it is is more or less a model of what happens to the Christian post-death but before the resurrection so um, rather than devoting a whole episode to just sort of talking just about soul sleep because i just don't think that's a whole episode's worth um of information at least at least from us in terms of our ability to you know to talk about it and and what we know about it um we figured it it would make more sense to talk to include it in a in a bigger discussion about the intermediate state in general so we're kind of gonna talk a little bit about soul sleep talk a little bit about some other stuff a little bit about some scripture references but a lot of this is going to be a little bit more, I think, free flow conversation than we had initially thought, because I know we both felt this as we were preparing for this episode. Um, it, this was a tough one to to put together uh, notes for, to, to put together an outline and sort of have a, a, a firm grasp on sort of where we want to go with this conversation compared to some other episodes we've done, which are very 
clear. We've got like certain points we want to make, things that are important to talk about. And I don't know if that's just, you know, where our heads are this weekend or if it's something sort of, you know, appropriate and fitting to talk about something like what, where do you go after you die kind of thing. Like, um, it feels like a very speculative kind of topic to talk about. Um, and I think that's one of the things we'll get into is there's not as much hard data to analyze as a lot of other doctrines or a lot of other beliefs or opinions theologically that we could talk about. At least that's what I sort of feel after after kind of taking some time to think about this. It kind of seems to me like there's just not a lot there. So that doesn't mean it's not worth talking about. That doesn't mean there's nothing to say. But it does mean on the outset, it's maybe a good idea to keep that in mind, that we are talking about things, doctrines, beliefs, just generally a topic that there's not a whole lot of like really, really firm, solid, black and white ground we can stand on. Um, it's kind of how I would want to phrase it. Um, I know that's, that's like I said, that's what I kind of experienced as I was preparing. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that sort of line of thinking. If not, we can just kind of jump in. Yeah, I say we just jump in. I mean, you, you hit it right on the head. It, 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 this was difficult to, to prepare for. It, it's a topic that I think outside of evangelical circles has you know, more of a footing. I don't think many in evangelical circles have a lot of questions about this. Maybe they do. I don't, I don't really know. Um, I at least found it very interesting what I did learn. So I'm excited to at least talk a little bit about soul sleep and um, some of the present day advocates for that idea. Yeah. So there's not much else to say in terms of what is the intermediate state um, other than what we've already said. We're talking about that period of time between a believer's death and we're, and we're talking about believers here. Um, Although we don't necessarily rule out unbelievers. I don't, I don't No, there, there obviously until the resurrection, until the, the resurrection until Christ's return, there is a, you know, just obviously <laughs> everyone who dies before that time, there's some amount of time that elapses between their death and Christ's return and the resurrection where uh, we face the judgment and, and all of that stuff happens. Um, I think we're, we're focusing more on believers in terms of what we're covering today, which, which is, what I meant to say, not that there's not an intermediate state for those who die outside of Christ or that it's like a radically different intermediate state so much as at least when I was preparing, I had more in mind the, you know, death, intermediate state, glory with Christ kind of timeline or or Hmm. path, which only, you know, would only apply to those who die in Christ. But, but that is a good point. It's not like this is something that can't, speak to everyone's experience of death prior to uh, Christ's return. But specifically, it's just that period of time. So why, you know, why do we call it the intermediate state instead of the intermediate time or the intermediate period? Um, so during that time, what is, what is your existence? What state are you existing in? You know, on earth, we have our bodies and our souls you know, body, soul, spirit, maybe, depending on how you want to articulate how human beings are, are made or, or are made up of um, different parts. We we are in sinful bodies. We, we suffer sickness. We suffer illnesses of different kinds. Um, we can be killed physically uh, when we eventually die. What happens, you know, what happens to our soul? What happens to our body? Okay, our body's buried. What does that mean for our soul? What does that mean while we're waiting for uh, Christ's return? What does it mean to wait for Christ's return as, as someone who has died? Um, and Christ does return. When we go to be with him, we're given resurrected bodies. We're glorified. We're like him. We're, we're in full communion with him. There's no longer any pain or suffering or death. You know, we, we kind of have like the, the where we are now and where we're going, we can kind of explain. Obviously, we don't know what it's like to be glorified with him, but we kind of know, oh, We'll have perfect bodies. We'll be resurrected. You know, we'll, we'll have bodies. We know it's physical, um, you know, that kind of stuff. But so what is it What is it like to exist as a human being who has died but has not yet been raised to be with Christ or um, not yet been raised uh, in the resurrection for judgment, right? So 
that's what we're talking about. There's the biggest, you know, specific view that we're going to talk about is soul sleep. It's um, an interesting perspective, an interesting doctrine, and something that I've been, you know, somewhat interested in for a while. Um, I think it is pretty cool. <laughs> um, and it is definitely one way to look at it. So I think we'll let you, Jensen, kind of take away, like, explaining the history of this doctrine as well as what it actually entails, because I know you've done a lot more on that. Yeah. Uh, than I did. So why don't you kind of, you know, what is soul sleep? Yeah. I mean, to start, I think it's fair and safe to say that death raises many questions for a lot of people. And when you even consider our broad culture, um, think about like how many commercials you'll find for anti-aging cream or, um, you know, liposuction or do this and you'll look younger or um, don't do these things and you'll stay healthy longer or whatever. It's it's safe to say that our culture, I think, has a a fear of of death, a fear of what lies beyond. And so, um, for a lot of people, you know, sickness, um, you know, bleak medical diagnoses and um, car crashes, like these things, bring on thoughts of death, the inevitability of death. And so, when will it happen? What will it be like? What would it What will it feel like? Will it hurt? Will it you know, be a, a, a pain-free thing. Um, what is the soul's destiny? Is there a soul? Um, obviously, as Christians, we believe that there is. And so um, soul sleep specifically, as, we, as we're speaking about this, this idea, this doctrine, if you will, is the belief that the soul rests after death in an unconscious state, or as some might say, even ceases to exist until the final resurrection. And it, it finds its like I guess it's roots, like the, the idea of soul sleep comes from the um, common sleeping metaphor for bodily death. So in, in scripture, I mean, there are times where um, death is referred to as being asleep. Um, and, you know, even though, the, even though this appears, even though, you know, sleep is mentioned as a metaphor, um, I think a, a, a br- even a brief, but I mean, a, a thorough study shows that the metaphor for sleep refers to the earthly body's inanimate state after death. Just like as someone is actually sleeping, they lie there. They, I mean, obviously someone's going to shuffle a little bit, but the person as they sleep is not conscious. They are, you know, they're they're prostrate, they're resting, their eyes are closed. Um, so the, the sleeping metaphor is just that, a metaphor, um, but not a, a necessarily a reality. But um, I think as we're speaking of believers, uh to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I mean, Paul says as much um, in a couple of different letters, whereas for unbelievers, death means separation from the body in Sheol. So when we're talking about soul sleep, soul sleep, again, is the thought that like you actually don't have a conscious place of existence after death. So at, after the moment of death, um, your soul doesn't go to one of those places. Your soul doesn't go to be with the Lord or it doesn't go to Sheol, um, but it, it either ceases to exist or it's this like sort of just intermediate state of unconsciousness, this, you know, yeah. like a, a soul sleep. Like it seems almost to me like the, the, I don't know the ins and outs of this, but like the, the picture I have is like, if you imagine somebody dies and they're buried, right? you know, you might say that their soul separated from their body and went to be in heaven with, with, with God, or it, for soul sleep, you might say that their their soul isn't separate from their body. It's almost like it's there with their body sleeping, like dormant you know, that, and waiting. That that imagery where it's it's, it's not hibernating or something. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you're lying there. Your soul is lying there, like looking at the top of the casket, you know, wondering when <laughs> you're gonna be able to leave or whatever. But like, it's it's to me, I, I don't know if that's a fair way to sort of describe it. But I picture like instead of this body soul separation it's that they stay together so so you kind of experience this unconsciousness um so time is passing your body you know your body is dead all that kind of stuff but it's like your soul is not sitting somewhere aware of its surroundings whatever whatever those surroundings might be it's it's a it's an unconsciousness which so like sleep really it does make a lot of sense like it is kind right. of what it sounds like soul sleep <laughs> exactly and and i think it, it it might be fair to say at the outset 
just maybe what traditionally the the church has taught like at least an, an evangelical church um, a protestant church is that until the the final resurrection and until christ comes again to resurrect you know to bring the living and the dead um, there is a, in a sense a temporary heaven there is a place where we go paradise whatever you want to call it um, with the father whereas there is on the other hand also a temporary place of holding a temporary hell um so hades or sheol if, if you i guess maybe we should have also said there are a lot of like correlations to the episode that we did on the descent of christ to the dead um, because depending on what you believe about christ's descent to the dead and the <laughs> the dramatic altering of reality that that accomplishes like that's going to inform how we talk about this idea of soul sleep um so again uh believers go to be with the lord non-believers uh, are in hades slash sheol um, it could be said though that a person's body is sleeping while the soul is either in heaven or in hades uh, because the the body is i mean it, i mean a, a person laying in a grave it appears to be asleep um, and at the at, at the resurrection this body is awakened and transformed into the everlasting body that a person will possess for eternity um, so i think that's that's at least like the just to sort of show the juxtaposition between soul sleep and I think just the common belief that many people would have today. Um, but if we're going to talk about present day defenders of soul sleep to get an idea of like who are groups of people that even hold to this, because um, there there are people today now, this isn't just like an ancient thing. There are people that hold to this. Um, so, so some present day examples of people that hold to soul sleep are um, Seventh Day Adventists, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, I've never heard of this, but I, I found this example, um, Christadelphians, and yeah. uh, a few others, but those are like the big three. Um, so as far as Jehovah's Witnesses go, this is actually propagated pretty dogmatically. Like it's not just like a tertiary thing. This is like a dogma. Um, so the, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, which, you know, is owned, I guess, by the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, in their widely distributed book uh, entitled Knowledge That Leads to Everlasting Life, they state, quote, when somebody dies, the spirit or life force ceases to animate the body cells, much as light goes out when the electricity is turned off. When the life force stops sustaining the human being, man, the soul, dies, end quote. So, it's interesting that they even like correlate man and the soul as though you can't, you know, speak of the physical body and the soul as being separate. Um, but just like when that light turns off, like think of, think of like midnight, you, you need a midnight snack. You turn on the, the light in the kitchen. As soon as you walk out of there, you turn off the light and the lights go out. It's pitch black again. It's almost, it's almost the same, a, a similar reality is when, when a person dies, that light switch goes off and it's, it's that person dies and it's, this intermediate state of, of the, the, the spirit leave, the spirit doesn't leave. It just sort of like stops. Um, later in this same book, they state, quote, therefore God's word refers to the dead as being asleep. For example, upon learning that his friend Lazarus has died, Christ told his disciples, Lazarus, our friend has gone to rest, but I am journeying there to awake him from sleep. End quote. Um, so even, even Jehovah's Witnesses are using this this passage found in John, uh, I think it's John 11, uh, to, to add, I guess, you know, an example from scripture of, of where they think this doctrine appears. And that really, when you think about it, that is a really interesting passage. The fact that Jesus says, you know, uh, he's gone to rest, I'm journeying there to wake him from sleep. Um, so part of understanding that passage is, one, what does sleep mean? Does it mean that he's actually just sleeping? Does it mean that he's inanimate? Does it mean that, um, you know, as Lazarus died, maybe Lazarus's soul was in the place of the dead, maybe in the place of the righteous dead. And so for Christ to raise him bodily, um, he was raised from the place of, you know, the, the dead as well. I, what does that say, especially because it's prior to Christ's resurrection? Um it's, it's, it's a little interesting. And I think that's at least to, to give the benefit of the doubt to people that do believe in soul sleep. It's not like they're just like pulling this out of nowhere necessarily. To be fair, they are trying to make sense of a reality that scripture speaks of. Um, I think that a lot of people misunderstand what scripture is saying, obviously, but 
um, you at least have to give them credit for attempting to understand something like this John 11 passage. Uh, but another faith group that teaches this same or at least very similar view is the, the Seventh-day Adventist church. Um, I really don't know much about the Seventh-day Adventists other than their, um, you know, their, their view of the Sabbath as being, um, you know, something that we still maintain. That's why they're called Seventh-day Adventist. Um, they also have some really interesting stuff surrounding one of their like founding women. I don't, I don't remember all the details on it. If you want to look up Seventh-day Adventists and read about it, or maybe someday we'll do a heretic of history series again and, and speak of them or something. I don't know. Um, but in their official doctrinal publication, uh, they state, quote, the grave is not a place of consciousness. So again, the grave or, you know, being dead is not a place of consciousness. Since death is asleep, the dead remain in a state of unconsciousness in the grave until the resurrection, when the grave, or in parentheses, Hades, gives up its dead. Revelation 2013, end quote. So that's a, I mean, that's even clearer, I think, than the Jehovah's Witness definition of what happens. They basically say that death is a place of unconsciousness. So when you die, you are, there's no consciousness that see, uh, that continues to exist. So let's say somebody lives for 80 years. As soon as your time on earth is done, your, the part of you that's a soul, a spirit, whatever, doesn't continue on. You, you, you continue in unconsciousness, which is a weird way to speak. And we remain there. So the dead, the people lying in graves will remain in a state of unconsciousness until the resurrection. And so it's even interesting how they quote Revelation 20.13 here, because that's a passage that we mentioned in our episode on Christ's descent to the dead. Um, but to say that the grave, or Hades, gives up the dead, um, I think has a very different understanding in, in our episode on, on Christ's descent than what they're trying to say it means here. Well, I think, um, they're, just, I think they're just trying to, that's just the timeline. Ma- is, yeah, maybe. I think the reference is, is, the, is just to Hades giving up the dead. So like... You're, you're unconscious, you're asleep from the time you die until the time of Hades giving up the dead, you know, so mm. then you're you're leaving the grave. So, um, and maybe, I mean, you know, that that's just how I, it sounded to me, but I, I could be wrong. But, I mean, I have to say, like, like I've always thought this, and, and you know, this is just kind of con, con, uh, confirmed. Like, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, that like, death being the grave, death, the state of being dead, being a state of, of unconsciousness or literally just a, a, a sleep for your soul, for your spirit, your, you know, your immaterial part. Like, I think that makes total sense, especially given the, the Christian fact of the resurrection where right. you are raised, like, it's not a permanent place. It's not, um, you know, the, the, the Christian death is not the final word for the Christian. That's the whole hope of glory of, and, and of Easter that we have. But, um, I certainly think it makes a lot of sense on just, just logically speaking, you know, just like someone sits down and explains this to me. I'm like, yeah, that makes like, I, I get it, you know, like not, not speaking to whether or not it squares with scripture. I, I don't know, but like just on the surface, it, it, it's not something where I hear it. And I'm kind of like, huh, how does that work? Like to me, at least, and it's just the way my brain works. Like the idea that a dead person is asleep makes sense to me like like it it just seems logical um and then the idea that someone being raised from the dead is is being awakened again like again it just it, it's 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 interesting because it just makes sense to me yeah, you know like it does, it does make sense um, yeah it it it's uh yeah i don't know it, it it's definitely um kind of funny how it just like it seems to click so well right like sometimes i hear people say stuff like right or wrong or things I agree with or disagree with. And it's just like, okay, I have to think about that. But like, <laughs> yeah. to me, it's like, like it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really like conflict with my own like reason <laughs> to hmm. be like, oh yeah, you go to, you, you die, you go to sleep until Jesus wakes you up and then you're with Jesus. Like, okay. Right. Yeah. You know, dead people, they don't move. They're just laying there. You know, it makes sense. <laughs> um, but obviously whether or not something makes sense on the surface to my own reason is not, what determines whether or not it's, you know, in line with revelation and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just saying it, it is kind of fun to think about like, Oh yeah, this just, this just makes sense. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing too, is 
again, to give these people credit, is they are trying to be faithful to Scripture. They're not just trying to, you know, make things more palpable, uh, palatable or, um, you know, just... It's, it's not like... It's not like other doctrines where you're trying to make something like, you know, maybe seem less severe or less difficult or or something like that. Like they are just trying to make heads and tails of something that scripture does speak about. Sure, and so sure. it's, you know, like you said, it, it does it does make sense. But um, I am curious sort of to hear more about what you have prepped, because I I really did focus on this idea of soul sleep. And even what I've said up to this point, I know isn't much, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what you've prepared on some of the other things that pertain to the intermediate state. Sure. Yeah. What well, one thing I'll say on, on soul sleep, just to, before we move on is, um, it kind of like you mentioned before that, uh, it's not, you said like there are people today who believe it. It's not just an ancient doctrine. I, it's not really an ancient doctrine at all. Um, it, it seems to first appear in the Anabaptists with the, in the radical reformation. And what's really interesting is so, We've talked about these before. If you're not familiar, the the 39 articles are sort of um, a foundational doctrinal document uh, for the Anglican tradition. Um, but before they were 39 articles, they were 42 articles. And before that, it was like 13. And before that, it, like there, they went 10, I think. It went through a lot of edits and revisions and changes. But um, the 39 articles as we have them used to have four more or three more, four more. Um, so there were 42, and one of them actually is, there's a whole article just condemning soul sleep and, and saying that's not what happens. Um, that got cut out, so, you know, that's not part of the Anglican tradition um, as it's been passed down. It, it, it's, it, it's not the case that Anglicans today are obliged to deny soul sleep or anything like that. But it is interesting that um, this wasn't an, this wasn't something that the church has really always ha- held to. Um, or even anyone in the church, it, it kind of is one of those things that cropped up later. Um, and when we're talking about sort of traditional Protestant voices, you know, just the only reason I bring this up is to show that, like, the response was not neutral, you know. Um, I'm sure not everyone felt this way, but it was certainly some people in charge of the of the reformation in england at the very least found it a big enough deal to specifically point out as something that we don't believe in um we meaning the the reformers in england so that's just kind of kind of i think interesting to just kind of put it in a little bit a little bit of a of a historical context of of sort of where it's coming from um where you know the fact that it comes from the anabaptist doesn't mean it's good or bad it just means it comes from the Anabaptists, but I do think that's interesting. But the other big, like, alternative sort of vision of what the intermediate state would look like, um, and this one definitely is just for the Christian, um, is the Roman view of purgatory. Um, I'm sure everybody has a at least a basic understanding of purgatory. It's one of those things we all just kind of know about and hear about, and it's definitely... In, in our, you know, the, the, the language and the culture and, and pop culture, like, has some image of what purgatory is. Um, the, the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. So the, the framework for, for this is purgatory is a place where you go to be purified before you enter heaven. Because as we know, God is holy. Um, to be in his presence, you need, you need to be holy. That's, that's very clear that um, uh, you can't just waltz up to God uh, as a sinner and, and expect everything to work out well. You know, we think of Isaiah uh, being, his lips being purified with the, with the coal from the fire by the angel when he's, when he's brought into the throne room and the angel says, you know, your, your sins have been atoned for. Think of, um, you know, the only the high priest on the day of atonement could enter the Holy of Holies in the temple. Um, we, we, you know, think of all that kind of stuff. But then of course, 
and this is, this will feed into why I, I I'm not really convinced by purgatory is is Christ tears the veil in two and and now we 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 on behalf of uh, or Christ on behalf of us allows us to enter into that holy of holies but the idea in in the Roman view is is that um, you you're assured of your eternal salvation if if you die and you are you are in God's grace and friendship but that doesn't mean that you don't have like unpaid debt that you still need to pay off for the sins you've committed. Your sins have been forgiven. They've been atoned for in Christ. Um, but you're still, you know, carry the, the temporal consequence of that sin. The eternal consequence of your sin has been taken care of. You've been baptized. It's been washed away. Christ has paid for it on the cross. But the temporal consequence you still need to deal with, which is where you get, you know, in the medieval era, you have, you know, indulgences being sold to shave off millions of years for for people who are in purgatory because it's not that they aren't saved by Christ it's that they need to pay off the debt the temporal consequence in order to be purified and and holy to enter into heaven um and that would so that would be a very different way of understanding what the the believer's intermediate state looks like you go to this separate place called purgatory you you are conscious you are you know awake alive however you want to phrase it and while you're in this place wherever it is called purgatory you are being purified you are you are suffering uh i don't know i don't know what it looks like but you, you are you are suffering in order to pay for the debt that you still owe on your on your sins as far as the the temporal consequence goes. So obviously very different than being asleep um, and also very different than a more Protestant understanding of um, the, the, the idea that, that we don't have more temporal debt that we need to pay off. Um, that, the, the, that being our presupposition, purgatory becomes, it, it doesn't, it doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. Mm. It doesn't like we're, we're, we're not, we don't need to do what the Roman church teaches we need to do. That would be a, a Protestant belief um, is that that temporal consequence and debt has also been paid for by Christ. Um, and we have been given that gift, not needing to, to pay that off anymore on the basis of our faith being part of being baptized into Christ's death and being raised with him is, is not just the eternal consequence being paid for, but all of our consequences of sin being paid for versus this, this view where there's this in-between time where while you wait to go to heaven, you're paying off that debt. Um, so I have a question maybe. Yeah. And, and I, what you've said so far about purgatory has been my understanding of it. Um, one question that maybe you can't even answer, but I am curious. Relating to purgatory, what, what would the Roman view be of Christ's return? So like my question with purgatory, let's say that you have, you know, you, you, you have a lot to like make up for to be purified or whatever. What if you still have things to be made up for after Christ returns? So what is Christ's return yeah. for? What is he returning to do if there are still going to be people in this intermediate state? Or well, I mean, does his he, return empty purgatory finally and fully? And so purgatory right now is just sort of like... I, I just, I've never understood it. I don't, I don't know if you even understand my question. It's hard to articulate what I'm thinking here, but I'm trying no, to understand no. like the timeline, I guess. Yeah, I definitely get your question. I mean, as far as what, whether you believe in purgatory or not, what Christ is doing when he's returning is returning to judge the living. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's what he's doing. So I don't know, like regardless of whether or not you have purgatory, that's, that's what you believe because you're Christian. <laughs> you right. confess the creed. But, um, as far as like, to me, this is not. Ba I have not read the the catechism of the of the Catholic Church or talked to any uh, Roman Catholics or read any Roman Catholics on this question. Maybe purgatory is um, done away, like you said, done away with uh, at Christ's return. Like like, the people won't won't be dying anymore, you know, because right. and they, and they won't be sinning anymore because we'll be judged. We'll be judged to to be righteous or unrighteous, you know, like, like it, it would logically, I could see purgatory being something that only applies to Christians who die before Christ's return. Hmm. Um, because, because then you, 
you aren't having people being born who are sinners who trust in Christ who then die anymore. You know what I mean? Um, maybe all the people who are in purgatory still finish off purgatory and then they leave purgatory. And so it's like, you know, people stop coming into purgatory, but they have to finish their sentence kind of thing. I, th- th- that's a good question. I, I don't know the answer to the relation. I, g- I guess like another way to phrase that question might be something like the, what is purgatory's relationship to eternity? You know, like, like how, how eternal is, is purgatory? Is purgatory eternal? What is its relationship to glorification? Um, that's, that, that is a really good question that I don't know. Um, but as far as what purgatory is, like what is it doing, um, it, it, at the very least in terms of its relation to the believer's intermediate state from a Roman Catholic perspective, um, it is this 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 temp- temporary, <laughs> very long, depending on how many <laughs> sins you've committed, but but temporary, um, not eternal place of 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 suffering, but but purifying suffering, um, purgation. You're you're being purged of your uncleanliness and your sin. Um, it's not punishment in the sense that you would say hell is. It, it it's not punishment in that sense it, it's it's um what's the word it's it's uh, i guess purifying is just what i'm thinking it, it's it's a purification process to you know and think think of think of you know we, we are we are purified by fire we, we you know our dross is burned out and it's le- leaving just gold like that that's a very christian and biblical idea hmm. uh, where we would we as non-roman catholics where we would probably differ is is not so much on the idea that we need to be purified from our sin obviously but the idea of how does that take place once we die, I don't think, I don't, I just think we would come at it from different angles in terms of how our sins are finally purged. Is it through this process where we're paying off the debt or is it through this once for all sacrifice where Christ has paid our debt? And I think that's really where the difference lies. So that, that's kind of, kind of as far as what purgatory itself is. Right. Um, I can't answer that other question, which is a really good question and really interesting. And it's a question, I don't know why, but I've never thought of that. I've never yeah. really thought of what do you think happens to, you know, um, I kind of want to, I kind of want to dive into that a little bit, but, but <laughs> yeah. I can't right now. So, right. Well, I mean, um, this is, you yeah. can kind of maybe already see how this does relate to our episode on the descent, because yeah. what we talked about that's, that's in the descent is like, huge. where did, like, what, what did Christ's soul do after his body was laying in the grave? What, where did any, like, what, what is Sheol? What is Hades? What is Abraham's bosom? If not a place for departed souls. Um, so again, if you haven't listened to that, maybe go find our episode. It's maybe five or six episodes ago on Christ's descent to the dead um, to kind of understand what we mean here. But um, I think it's safe to say that the church broadly, Catholic, Protestant, whatever, has had some struggle with this concept of the intermediate state. And, yeah, and I think that's why, I, it's, that, why there's so many differences. Definitely. And I think that's a good way to kind of transition to what I, th- I, I think is just going to be the final kind of point. Yeah. Um, which is, A, even just in the way that you and I have been talking, I think it's very clear how <laughs> just unsure we are of even what to really I know. <laughs> say. Because it just is so, it's just such a, you know, there, there's no way for us to grasp this topic until we die you, you know what i mean like there's there's no way to talk to some i mean i mean i guess depending on the books you might pick up at lifeway you might some people might think there is a way to talk to people who have seen this but I, you know like there, there's no way to to examine or to analyze or to see this from a first-hand basis and at the end of the day there's there's just not a lot that we're given in scripture what we're given isn't really getting at this question as right. much as things like the descent, things like Christ's ascension, things like the resurrection of the dead at the end of the age when Christ returns. Those are the, the points that scripture seems much more eager to make and to share and to teach rather than the details of what you're doing, where you are, what it looks like while you're waiting. I mean, because well, I, I you to... know, I did see, I did see, because to, to to make it your point clear, what you're trying to say here, um, you know, let let's just take what Paul says. Where you know, to to depart, to be with Christ is is better, but for your sake I remain. So he says that to one of his churches. You know, it, it's better to be with the Lord, but I have you know basically work to do here on behalf of the Lord. And I saw some people make the argument that like 
Yeah, of course Paul would say that. It is better to be with the Lord. And one day we will be with the Lord. But in his human body, he's going to stay and work. And then after he dies, his soul will be unconscious. And then eventually he will be with the Lord. So it's interesting even that like a yeah. verse that some people might take to say, when you die, you go to be with the Lord. You yeah. know, that they, they use it as like, no, like obvious, like, duh, yeah, it is better to be with the Lord. That's why we, we, we can't be yet, but we will be one day is what some of these people were saying. But then again, what do you do with the verse where Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise? Because even, even if that means what we say it means in Christ's descent, that, that, that thief was going to be with Jesus in the righteous place of the dead, the fact still remains that as Jesus is living next to a living thief hanging on the cross, he tells that person, today you will be with me in paradise. So whatever that means, after they were to die they were going to still be together in paradise. So you, I mean, maybe, maybe like maybe he could be asleep in paradise. I have no idea. Like, yeah, maybe that, this is just, yeah. But I mean, I mean, I think that that does help to clarify, clarifies my uncertainty more so <laughs> than clarifies like <laughs> what happens. But yeah, but yeah I mean, it's true. Like, cause even, even in that, that verse, which I've often heard, um, the, the uh, I think it's Philippians one that you reference something you know, like that yeah it, it, to live is Christ to die is gain you know I desire to depart and be with Christ but it's better for your sakes that I'm here so I'm convinced you know like um, that is something I've heard a lot used to say see there isn't this idea of soul sleep however he, he doesn't actually say <laughs> like they're right you know he doesn't actually say my I you know. When I die, I'm instantly awake in my soul, separate from my body in paradise with Christ. Like, because he's not talking about that. That's not what Paul's saying. You know what I mean? That's not the point that he's making. The point he's making is it is better to, to, to depart this life and be with Christ, obviously. However, I'm going to be here because I've got work to do. I, I, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm still here to pastor you, to shepherd you, to care for you and other, like, that's just not the point. And, and you know, another verse that comes to mind is, the the um the martyrs in revelation who are under the altar who john sees and they're asking how long O lord until until we you know they've been given their robes and they're asking like when can we kind of i forget i forget exactly what they ask but they're they're asking like to you know for their their time of of it seems to me they're asking for their time of being dead to end almost like um and, and, you know, they're told, wait a little longer till your number is complete or whatever. Um, you know, how, how does how does this fit in? Because they definitely don't seem to be asleep. They seem to have some awareness of the passage of time, which you don't have when you're asleep because you're not conscious. They're at, they're talking to, um, to God or the angel or whoever they're talking to. Um, but also how, how, you know, how, uh, how literally do we want to take that vision that John is seeing, you know, this apocalyptic prophetic vision? Um, it's obviously saying something true. Is it something that we want to say is, you know, a literal depiction of what's happening? Maybe. And if so, that, that might mean, you know, more of this idea of, of you're, 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 you're certainly awake and aware of things. But I don't know. It's just, there's just not that much that we can kind of grab onto and say, look, this is what happens when when you die before the resurrection. And this is what it looks like. And this is what it's not looking like. And I think that that's just kind of like where I want to end it just in terms of what I have to offer is really just like, you know, I, this is one of those things that I, I think you need to hold with a very open hand, whatever you want to say. Yeah, because it is so difficult to get a solid uh, picture in Scripture of of what exactly is going. We can say some really true, important things. Christ will return. We will be raised with Him. You know, we're all saying that. Um, all Christians are saying that. Um, but there's 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 a lot less certainty we can have. And so, you know, personally, on the question of like soul sleep, or on the question of um, of what does it Perfectory. look like when you die? I'm I'm prepared to sort of just submit to my tradition, um, because I just simply don't have the the ability to say with any f 
firm certainty, this or that, this or that, you know? So if that article had been kept that condemned soul sleep, I would say, I don't believe in soul sleep. That, you know, this, <laughs> this is not the tradition of, of the church, of my church. I'm not going to, you know, but that's, that's not in the articles. That's, that's nowhere in my, you know, theological heritage where, where it's, it's necessary to reject it. So I'm just kind of like, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I think right. it makes sense. There are some other verses that seem to say something different, but I don't know. It's not really super clear. And uh, this is, you know, we were saying, we, we've already alluded to this, but like, this is where I would really say like, this is really a supplement episode to the descent episode in terms of really where I think the, the real theological legwork is taking place on this question is the descent episode. Right. Um, is the idea of, um, this is really what thought the, the, the intermediate state really, like you said, it really follows from what you believe about the, the descent and what the descent accomplished. And I think that that's a really good uh, point to, to highlight as we, as we sort of wrap up is like, this is really less of this big independent, you know, point of doctrine. And it's more of a, um, it kind of reflects what, what we want to say about what Christ has done, <laughs> right? Um, which is definitely the more important question um, and, and the question that we're given a lot more clarity on um, in yeah. terms of scripture. Um, and so I guess that, the, that's kind of what I'd want to say on, on that. Yeah. And, 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 and as I sort of just add my concluding thoughts, I mean, I obviously will submit to my tradition as well. Um, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but you know, to me, there's, there is great hope in saying and proclaiming that we, at the moment of death, the Christian departs to be with the Lord. That the, the pain of this life, that the difficulty, that the suffering that we endure, that those things are alleviated and done away with, and we go to be with our Savior. Like, there is great hope and comfort in that. I, at the same time, though, I, I would not want to say that, no matter how good it sounds, if it were not true. Like, I wouldn't want to say something untrue. And so that's why we do need to be careful. We do need to think theologically. We do need to think biblically and historically. Um, and I, I think that there is sufficient evidence in scripture to say that we do depart to be with the Lord. Um, but at the very least, this is one of those things that we need to, if we're going to have a conversation with people, it needs to be done so charitably. It needs to be done with an open mind, uh, with an open heart, with um, with a recognition that like the people that are talking about this in a way that you wouldn't talk about it are at least trying to do so biblically. So if there is a disagreement, you need to know what the Bible does say. You need to you need to read through all the passages that that pertain to this idea, um, explore something like the doctrine of the descent, explore you know early uh, Judaism and their thoughts about life after death, early Christianity. You know what were the first fifteen hundred years of church history saying about where the soul goes beyond the grave? Um, the, the, all of this factors in. It's not it's not as easy as just saying or just like assuming like yeah we go to be with the Lord and everyone else just goes to hell. Like you can't just make those assumptions. They're they're rash, um, they're uncharitable, they're un, unfair. I think in certain uh, certain scenarios, and so as as you engage with people, um, whether they're Christians or not, especially if they're not Christians, um, you need to you know be kind, be charitable, be gentle, be loving, all of those things. So that's that. Those are sort of my thoughts as we wrap up. And and this was a really interesting topic to me. One that I think. Um, you know, maybe I have some other questions that have sort of popped up in my own mind that I want to look further into. Um, yeah. But as we always say in our introduction, you know, we're investigating, we're exploring, we're discovering. Like we, Lucas and I are by no means experts. Even as we've <laughs> spoken here, you know, we've probably misspoken. We've probably maybe misidentified a, a view or a belief. Um, and if that's the case, I, I do apologize. But like, I just want you to know that we're we're exploring. I mean, we get questions all the time about different doctrines, different topics, different ideas, and we're doing our best to, to talk about them, to explain them, and to articulate um, as best as we can. So we hope that this, you know, at least, you know, causes a conversation, maybe even within your own mind. Uh, maybe it's with a friend, maybe it's with a family member, maybe it's with a, a church member. Um, but at the end of the day, as we explore, as we discuss, the, 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 the end goal is doxology the end goal is praise to, to know our lord to love him more um to think more biblically more theologically um and to just be more i think more faithful to him so if if, if this has allowed you to do that like that's that's the success is you know growing in our understanding and our knowledge so 
those are my last thoughts. Anything you want to say, or should we just close it out with a word of prayer? Let's pray. All right. So this is from the Valley of Vision. It's entitled Resurrection. It seemed somewhat fitting. So, O God of my exodus, great was the joy of Israel's sons when Egypt died upon the shore. Far greater the joy when the redeems or when the redeemer's foe lay crushed in the dust. Jesus strides forth as the victor, conqueror of death, hell, and all opposing might. He bursts the bands of death, tramples the power of darkness down, and lives forever. He, my grace, my grace, <laughs> he, my grace, gracious surety, that's really hard to say, grace, gracious surety, <laughs> apprehended for payment of my debt, comes forth from the prison house of the grave, free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Show me herein the proof that his vicarious offering is accepted, that the claims of justice are satisfied, that the devil's scepter is shivered, that the wrongful throne is leveled. Give me the assurance that in Christ I died, in him I rose, in his life I live, in his victory I triumph, in his ascension I shall be glorified. Adorable Redeemer, uh, thou who was lifted up upon a cross art ascended to the highest of heavens. Thou who, as man of sorrows, was crowned with thorns, art now, as Lord of life, wreathed with glory. Once no shame more deep than thine, no agony more bitter, no death more cruel. Now no exaltation more high, no life more glorious, no advocate more effective. Thou art in the triumph car, leading captive thine enemies behind thee. What more could be done than thou hast done? Thy death is my life, thy resurrection my peace, thy ascension my hope, thy prayers my comfort forevermore. Amen. Amen. Dude, try saying gracious assurity like 15 times fast. It's a, <laughs> apparently a difficult one for me to say. Yeah, well, thank you anyway for saying it. And thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. And you can always email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and ideas for future episodes. Um, no matter what is on your mind, we'd love to hear from you. And until next time, we'll see you.